the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Even though Cornelius believed in the one true God and he observed the Old Testament Jewish laws, he still was not right with God. And we know that he wasn't right with God as a man who was forgiven of his sins and thus reconciled to God because of what the angel went on to say to him. He was not right with God. And we read verses 5 through 8, the angel saying, Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, as the angel continues speaking to Cornelius, he tells him to send some men to the city of Joppa. Joppa, it's about 30 miles south of Caesarea. He tells them to send some men there in order to bring back a man by the name of Peter. He's also called Simon, but he's also referred to as Peter. And he's staying with a tanner whose name is also Simon, whose house is by the sea in Joppa. refers to Cornelius as a God-fearing man. Now this is very important because it means that while he worshipped the God of Israel and he practiced Judaism, he had not become a full proselyte to Judaism. In other words, although he had some strong attachments to the Jewish religion and conducted his life in a way that reflected his belief in Judaism, he had not converted to Judaism. Therefore, he was not a Jew. He was still considered a Gentile in the eyes of the Jewish community. Now that is important for us to remember as we go through this series in Acts chapter 10. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is going to highlight some very interesting aspects of how the gospel first came to the Gentiles. Let's listen as he takes us back to Acts chapter 10. The fact that Luke refers to Cornelius as a God-fearer is very important because it means that while he worshipped the God of Israel and he practiced Judaism, he had not become a full proselyte to Judaism through the ritual of circumcision. In other words, although he had some strong attachments to the Jewish religion and conducted his life in an exemplary way that reflected his belief in Judaism, although all that was true, he had not converted to Judaism. Therefore, he was not a Jew. He was still considered a Gentile in the eyes of the Jewish community. But he observed many of the religious practices of the Jewish people. And one of them was to pray at certain set times throughout the day, which is what Luke tells us he was doing when God did something remarkable 
in his life. We read in verses 3 and 4. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now what we read here is that about the ninth hour of the day, which was three in the afternoon, Cornelius was praying because this was the customary time for Jewish people to pray, and he embraced that practice. And while he was praying, an angel of God came to him in a vision, and calling him by his name, Cornelius, he told him that your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, God has taken note of your prayers and charitable gifts. You see, God saw this man's heart. He saw that he was a sincere man. He was a devout man. He was a man who, to the best of his understanding, was worshiping God and living up to the knowledge that he had. But it is critical, folks, for us to understand that his sincerity and religious devotion was not enough to save his soul. Even though Cornelius believed in the one true God, and he observed the Old Testament Jewish laws, he still was not right with God And we know that he wasn't right with God as a man who was forgiven of his sins and thus reconciled to God because of what the angel went on to say to him. He was not right with God. And we read verses 5 through 8, the angel saying, now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, as the angel continues speaking to Cornelius, he tells him to send some men to the city of Joppa. Joppa, it's about 30 miles south of Caesarea. He tells them to send some men there in order to bring back a man by the name of Peter. He's also called Simon, but he's also referred to as Peter. And he's staying with a tanner whose name is also Simon, whose house is by the sea in Joppa. And that's exactly what Cornelius does. He summons two of his servants along with a devout soldier who also apparently practiced Judaism. And he sends them off to Joppa to find Peter to bring him back to Caesarea. Now, folks, the point that I want you to see from all of this is that the only reason the angel tells Cornelius to go find Peter and bring him back to Caesarea is so that Peter will tell him about Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. That's the sole purpose. No matter how religious, how sincere Cornelius was, it was not enough to save his soul. He still needed to hear and believe the gospel because there is only one way to be saved and one way to be reconciled to God. And it is through faith in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ because it is only by Christ's death on behalf of sinners that God the Father's holy wrath is satisfied. So he doesn't have to pour it out on us. Only when an individual places his faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross as the only basis for his salvation does God forgive that person and reconcile them to himself. Remember what Peter had said years earlier in Acts 4 verse 12 as he stood before the Sanhedrin with great courage he told them and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And listen to what we read in 1 John 5, 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It is not enough to believe in God, even the God of the Bible. Cornelius believed in the God of the Bible. You must have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Faith as your personal Savior from sin. Listen, Cornelius, as I said, He had faith in the one true God. He was a religious man. He carefully observed the precepts of Judaism, but that wasn't enough to save him because he needed a perfect sacrifice for his sin. Someone who had never sinned, someone who was righteous, who was therefore qualified to die as a substitute sin bearer for others. And that was Jesus. And that's why the angel told Cornelius to go get Peter because Peter would tell him that the only savior from sin, Jesus the Messiah. It's important to note that although the angel who spoke to Cornelius certainly knew the gospel and could have right then and there on the spot told him the gospel, he didn't. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why go get Peter when the angel's there? He knows the gospel. Well, the answer is because God has given the privilege of sharing the gospel with humans, not angels. There is one time in the book of Revelation we read there will be an angel who will proclaim the gospel, but ordinarily not so. Not so. It's given to people. We have the privilege of proclaiming the gospel. It's also critical for Peter to be there to witness the conversion of these Gentiles so that he would understand that God had accepted them into his church on equal footing with Jews. But here's something important that we should all understand. Regardless of who preaches the gospel... Unless God works in that person's heart, shows them their need for Christ as their Savior, they simply will not believe. It doesn't matter if an apostle or an angel from heaven preaches to them. They simply will not believe the gospel unless God prepares their hearts to believe it. And that certainly is the case of Cornelius. And it's obvious that God had been working in his heart. And let me show you why. See, unlike many religious people, Cornelius knew that he needed a savior. And the reason I say that is because of what we read a little bit later in Acts 11, as Peter clarifies some things. Acts 11, verses 13 and 14. Peter speaking, he said, and he reported, meaning Cornelius told us, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here and he will speak words to you, notice this, by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. Now, as I said, Peter is later explaining to some Jewish men from the church at Jerusalem, how did salvation come to the Gentiles? And he tells them about the words that the angel spoke to Cornelius. But in doing so, he adds something that we don't read in chapter 10. He tells us that the angel said that the words that he, meaning Peter, would tell Cornelius and his household were words that would tell them how to be saved. And what that indicates is that Cornelius understood his need to be saved. He knew what that meant. He understood that all of his religious observances couldn't possibly save him. In fact, it's very likely that what he was praying about when the angel appeared to him was about salvation. He may very well have been asking God to show me how to be saved. I'm doing all these things. What must I do to be saved? Listen, there is no question 
that God had been at work in the heart of Cornelius because religious people, and you know this from knowing others who are very religious, religious people tend to be very satisfied with their religious devotion, believing that their good works, their upright character, all that's going to earn them entrance into heaven. They tend to be very satisfied with themselves and their religion. And as much as you tell them the truth about Christ, they don't get it. But that wasn't the case with Cornelius. That's not how he felt. He understood he was a sinner. And therefore he understood that he needed salvation, which is salvation from sin. He just didn't know how to be saved. And that's where Peter comes in. Because Peter is going to tell him about Jesus and salvation. But first, but first, Peter has to have a radical change of thinking because of all of his prejudices that were bred in him from the time he was a little guy towards Gentiles. That has to be changed. And so as Luke ends scene one concerning Cornelius and his vision, he now shifts to a second scene in which he tells us about Peter and his vision. We read in verses nine and 10. On the next day, as they were on their way, And approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Now, continuing with what he has just told us about Cornelius, Luke says that on the following day, at the same time that the men who Cornelius sent to Peter, about the same time they were approaching the city of Joppa, that Peter went up on the roof where he was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. He went on the roof to pray, and it was the sixth hour of the day. Now, since the sixth hour of the day was 12 noon, Peter naturally became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. It's lunchtime. And while someone was preparing Peter's food, we read that he fell into a trance. And by trance, Luke simply means that what Peter is experiencing is not a dream, but rather it's a vision from God in which the Lord is going to give him some divine revelation. And he tells us the content of this revelation in the following verses, verses 11 through 13. And he saw the sky opened and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, while in this trance, we read that Peter sees the sky open and a large sheet, probably like a sheet from a sailboat, large sheet descends. And on that sheet, he sees all kinds of animals. He sees four-footed animals. He sees reptiles. He sees birds. And the significance of this vision, listen closely, the significance of this vision of all kinds of animals is that this sheet contained both clean and unclean animals as God designated them in the Mosaic law. See, in the Old Testament, God had instructed the Jewish people that they were only to eat certain animals, and he referred to those animals as clean And they were forbidden also to eat other animals that he referred to as unclean. So there was a designation clean, there was a designation unclean. In Leviticus 11, God gave detailed instructions concerning which animals were clean and which were unclean. But in Leviticus 20, verses 25 
and 26, he explains his reason for making such a distinction between these animals. Let me read it to you. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. You are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Now watch this. Thus you are to be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples, that means the Gentiles, to be mine. Now listen closely. The reason that God allowed Israel to eat only certain animals and not others had to do not so much with this animal's bad and this animal's not bad, but it was for the purpose of limiting their social interactions with their idolatrous Gentile neighbors. That's what he's saying. I'm separating you so that you're not going to be with them, lest they be exposed to such idolatry and be swept into ungodly behavior. That is to say that God gave the Jewish people certain dietary restrictions. We call them kosher foods that were so different from anybody else. Their diet was so different that it would be next to impossible for them to sit down and eat with Gentiles, therefore limiting their opportunities to be exposed to their pagan idolatry because always when the Gentiles ate and had festivities, their paganism was exposed. It was expressed. Wicked stuff going on. Idolatry. They didn't separate their social interactions and their idolatry. In other words, these food restrictions were for the purpose of keeping the Jewish people holy and separate from the wickedness of the Gentiles. That didn't mean they shouldn't have any kind of outreach to them. That was the whole point. But they were not to sit down and participate in pagan festivities that involve food. So God told them to eat differently. Now, in this vision then, Peter hears a voice telling him to do something that was absolutely shocking to him. He hears the voice of God. Here's God commanding him to set aside these food restrictions. In this vision, God tells him, get up, kill these animals, Peter, and go eat them. In other words, since you're so hungry, Peter, here are some animals. Here are all of them. Rise, eat them, eat whatever you want. Now, for a devout Jew... To hear such a thing was absolutely revolting. In all of his life, Peter had never eaten anything that was not kosher. And that's why he makes his protest to God in verse 14. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, I know that it sounds very strange to hear an apostle say no to the Lord. We're not used to that. But we have to understand that this isn't so much an act of Peter blatantly refusing to obey God as much as it is that he's affirming to God that he has always obeyed him in eating kosher food and he's not about to disobey him now. But you see, at this point, Peter doesn't understand the meaning of this vision of animals and what God is telling him to do. And that's certainly understandable. Any religious devout Jew of that day would have reacted exactly the same way that Peter did. So in light of Peter's protest, God proceeds to very graciously explain to him the meaning of this vision and why he's being commanded to eat all kinds of previously forbidden food. Verses 15 and 16. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, folks, this statement by the Lord, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. 
this is the key to understanding the meaning of this vision and its profound significance. In fact, God repeated this three times for emphasis, and then the sheet was taken back to heaven, and the vision was over. Now listen closely. The meaning of these words, and therefore the meaning of this vision, is that God was not only setting aside all of the Old Testament dietary restrictions for Israel so that the Jewish people are now free to eat whatever they wanted to eat, but more significantly, God was making the statement to Peter that no longer was he or any Jewish person to look upon Gentiles as being unclean and unholy and beneath them. While this vision certainly involved animals in that it did abolish the Old Testament dietary laws, it's over. So that any believer in Christ is free today to eat whatever you want to eat. The vision certainly went beyond animals to human beings. This is certainly how Peter understood this. How he interpreted it. And he interpreted it correctly. Notice what he said. And he's going to say this later to the Gentile messengers who were sent to him by Cornelius. Jump down to verse 28. And he said to them, this is Peter speaking. You yourselves know how unlawful it is. For a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And he means Gentiles. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. When did God show you that, Peter? In the vision. That's the meaning of the vision. God has shown me that I should not call any man, he means Gentile, unholy or unclean. See, this is a major change in Peter's default setting. He has been conditioned all of his life since childhood to look upon Gentiles as beneath him, as being unclean, morally tainted people. And now God is telling him something that is completely different. He's telling him that he is no longer to think of Gentiles in this way. He's no longer to think that Jews were clean and Gentiles unclean. He's no longer to make these distinctions in his mind about Jews being better than Gentiles. See, the Lord was simply preparing Peter to take the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. And therefore, he had to first convince him that it was okay. It was all right for him to do this. That since there were no distinctions between Jews and Gentiles before God, then there would be no distinctions between believing Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ, the church. Now, I want to stop here. I want to address several issues that this statement about Gentiles being clean and holy raises. I had intended originally to cover more of this section, but I feel compelled to share these three. There's actually three issues here. First of all, I think it's important for all of us to understand that in canceling the law about the Old Testament dietary restrictions, it doesn't mean that God is in the habit of changing his laws on a whim just to suit the moment. That, oh, I think I'll change this because I'm doing this. See, let me explain. There were some laws, certain Old Testament laws, always uniquely for Israel, never to be continued for everybody else just for Israel as God governed them as his chosen unique nation, such as the laws about what foods you can eat, certain Sabbath day observances, rules for punishing those who committed crimes, rituals, ceremonies, feasts, festivals, special days. But with the death of Christ, who fulfilled all that, and the establishment of the church, those specific laws for how Israel was to be governed, they don't apply to church-age believers. Though God still has a plan for Israel, these laws don't carry over and apply to us. And so today, we don't put to death a rebellious teenager. That's what the Mosaic law said to do. 
We don't forbid anyone from eating pork. That's what the Mosaic law said that they were forbidden to do. We don't execute people for committing adultery. That's what the Mosaic law said to do. And on and on there were laws like that. However, there are certain laws, and it's a big however. There are certain Old Testament laws that God will never repeal. They are meant to be followed by everyone today. And those are the Ten Commandments. It's very important that you understand the distinction between Old Testament laws. And the reason that these laws, these Ten Commandments, will never change is because they reflect the holy character of God. And therefore, they are eternal and they are binding upon us. Through the writing of Luke, we are witnessing a profound paradigm shift. God's statement to Peter... What God has cleansed and no longer consider unholy is the key to understanding the meaning of Peter's vision and its profound significance. The meaning of the vision is that God was not only setting aside all of the Old Testament dietary restrictions for Israel, but he was making the statement to Peter that he was no longer to look upon Gentiles as being unclean, unholy, and beneath him. As I said, the paradigm shift for Peter was monumental and not easily overcome. However, I am glad for Acts chapter 10 because I am a Gentile. Let's make a pause here and come back next time when our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will again take us through Acts chapter 10. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 